One woman, one horse, one goal. 48 states for domestic violence awareness. Hello and welcome to Have Horse Will Travel, the official podcast for the Centaur Ride. I'm Meredith Cherry and this is my co-host Apollo. Welcome to Season 2 of Have Horse Will Travel. This is just so exciting. This, I just, I, I'm just so excited. There are some really big things happening. At the end of last season, I talked to you about what parts of the ride we had left to do. And while we still have those parts of the ride left to do, there's big news about Apollo, which is quite appropriate because this season... Season 2 is all about Apollo. It's going to be 14 episodes that are all just horse, 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 horse. Of course, not just horse, 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 because we're going to talk about domestic violence as usual, but it's going to be less about me and more about Apollo, which is, I know, what you're actually here for. So if you've been listening for the whole first season already, thank you for sticking with it, and now we're getting to the good stuff. (laughs) The big news, let's just launch right into that. The big news is that Apollo is coming home. That's right. He is no longer in New Hampshire, and no longer waiting for me to show back up in New Hampshire, because with all of the craziness that's been going on this year, that is just not going to happen. That does not mean that we're canceling the ride. Everything I talked about in the last episode of season one is still true. I still have the same route left to do, although I might not do it in that order. And it will still happen. That's still the plan. But I have to be realistic. This year is just not the year to be traveling anywhere, really, and especially not on horseback. A horseback journey is a very complicated, difficult, and dangerous thing as just when things are going good in the world. (laughs) And so doing it with the social unrest and the pandemic is just not a good idea. And while maybe this will all calm down and clear up, in a few months, and maybe I could have gotten a little bit of riding in this year, it wouldn't be long enough to be really, I don't want to say worth it, because it's always worth it to ride a horse, right? And to ride around and talk about domestic violence. But it's a big deal to start the ride each year, and it's a big deal to find somewhere safe to stop and board Apollo at the end of each year. And so it's just simpler and easier at this point, to just say, let's just not. And we'll think about riding again when it's possible. But I'm still going to keep doing this podcast. So let's talk about Apollo. One thing that people ask a lot about, which is what I'm going to talk all about in this episode, is why Apollo If you've met Apollo, you probably aren't asking yourself that because he's an awesome horse and obviously Apollo, but it's still a good question because Apollo is 
kind of a handful sometimes. He's a very opinionated horse, which I kind of like because he thinks for himself and is by and large going to help keep us out of trouble. You know, we're traveling together and I look out for him and he looks out for me and I look out for myself and he looks out for himself. And we travel as a team and I like that he helps think about things like this, but he's also sometimes not going to agree with what I tell him he needs to do. Uh, But he's polite about it. He's not like crazy. But anyway, why did I pick Apollo? How did I find Apollo? That's also often asked. So let's talk about that. Well, to get right to the point, I found him on Craigslist. That's right. Craigslist. Does anyone even still use Craigslist? Even back when I got him in 2014, Craigslist was not really that popular anymore. I had a lot of problems, but I was not connected with any horse trainers or horse friends in the area, and so I didn't have any way to network around to shop for a horse, and there were no good ways for where I lived to shop for a horse except for places like Craigslist. And so that's where I looked and that's where I found him. I went through a lot of ads and some other resources to try to find horses as well. It wasn't just Craigslist. I saw his ad and he met all the criteria that I was looking for. So that is the first step when I was shopping for him. I was narrowing it down to certain characteristics that I needed for a horse that was going to be my travel partner. At that point, I wasn't sure I was going to do this ride, and I didn't start it for three years after I found Apollo, but I wanted to do this ride, and I knew that doing this ride, although I'd never done anything like it, I had a good idea of what sort of things would be required for a horse to be able to do this sort of adventure. I'm sure there are horses that don't meet the characteristics I was looking for that have been able to go on really long distances for months and months on end, but to best ensure that I would be able to do this and keep my horse safe, I wanted a horse that met the following qualities. And those qualities were that they were the right size and confirmation and age and health background. And that was really about it. So there were other things I was looking for for myself as far as choosing a horse, but for the ride itself, that was what I was looking for. So age was very important. I knew I would not be starting right away. And so I needed a horse that was not already pushing being a senior because by the time we started the ride, I didn't want them to already be getting old And I knew it would take several years to complete the ride, so they needed to be able to not be getting old by the time we finished the ride. So it needed to be a relatively young horse. On the other hand, while I had some very limited horse training experience, I was not very confident in my ability to train a horse entirely from scratch. I did not want a completely green horse that had never seen a saddle before and wasn't even sure about people. They needed to have some basic training and I would take it from there. And so 
a really, really young horse probably wouldn't meet that criteria. So that narrowed down my options pretty well. I was also looking for a horse in good health condition, meaning they were not starting off with health issues that I knew of. Obviously, when you buy a horse, I got a vet inspection on him before I purchased him, pre-purchase exam, as they call it, but not everything will necessarily show up in that. But I could do some things, at least, to try to make sure that he didn't have health problems. For example, I know that it's possible to ride an off-the-track thoroughbred across the country because it has been done. However, off-the-track thoroughbreds are prone to having certain pre-existing leg injuries. And so for my own peace of mind, I did not want a horse like that. Not that there's anything wrong with off-the-track thoroughbreds. They can be great horses, but for a cross-country four-year journey, I wanted to make sure that the horse I chose had really good legs that weren't already suffering from heavy use before I bought them. I wanted a horse that didn't have any other known health conditions, like wasn't prone to colic or things like that. I wanted a horse that was big enough to carry me and the pack because I did not want to also have a pack horse. Actually, at that point, I wasn't entirely sure whether I would have a pack horse or not, but I was guessing not, and I wanted the option. So I wasn't going to pick a little horse. Like, I love Arabians. I just love them. They're so clever, and they're just so much fun, but they're just too small for what I was doing. Obviously, they can go long distances. People use them a lot for things like the Tevis, where they'll go 100 miles in one go, And that really speaks to the breed's endurance. However, the people who do that kind of riding, the long-distance endurance riding, are not carrying weight behind the saddle. It's just them and their very lightweight saddle, and that's it. And I needed to be able to pack things too. So a small horse like an Arabian would not be able to carry the weight comfortably that I wanted to pack. The horse needed to have good confirmation. Apollo does not have the best confirmation. I did make allowances there that maybe weren't the best idea, but it's been largely okay. He's not great as far as confirmation. If you don't know what confirmation is, that is how they're built. So whether their legs are straight, how far apart their front legs are from each other, the shape of their back and their hips and how high they hold their head and everything to do with how the horse is physically built. And some horses, just like some people have, you know, flat feet or crooked spines or whatever, horses also can have bad conformation or not great conformation. While that's not necessarily a problem, It can lead to problems later, especially for such a physical endeavor as riding around the country. For your average, you know, ride around the arena horse, like show horse or a trail horse that is not doing high performance, confirmation's not as big of a deal. But when they are performing at 
the peak physical level like going around the country like this. If they had bad knees, it would flare up. You know, if you have bad knees, you know, if you walk a lot, it's going to start to hurt. And so I had to make sure that he had good confirmation so that it wouldn't lead to problems down the road, literally down the road. The rest of the reasons as to why I chose Apollo were to some degree things that would be good for a long distance ride and to some degree were just personal preference. For example, I had a budget I was working in. Also, I was looking for a horse that I felt that I could finish his training. So, as I said, he needed to have some training, but he wasn't fully trained. Like, he knew what a saddle was, and he knew stop and go, and left and right, kind of. But he wasn't great in any of it, and we basically started from scratch, but at least he had already been taught the very basics. As a new horse trainer at that time, I needed a horse that I felt I could work with. And so one of the things in particular that I liked about Apollo was that he is so friendly. He just loves people. He just wants to be everybody's friend. He wants to be right there with you. And I thought from a training standpoint, that was really awesome And so that was a good sign to me that I would be able to train him pretty easily because if I told him to do something in the training and he did it and I could praise him and give him scratches and he would then understand that that's what he was supposed to do. That's the basis of training, you know. You ask them to do something, they do it, you reward them in one way or another so they know they did it right. There's other approaches like negative reinforcement. We're not going to go into that in this episode. So anyway, back to topic. So I liked that he was friendly. Also, beyond the training, I knew that on the road, we would be meeting all kinds of people in all kinds of situations. And that he was super friendly was really great in that respect. Because then once we were out talking to people on the road, that he would like meeting all these people too. It would be enjoyable for him. And I want him to enjoy the journey too. He's not just, you know, my other car is a horse. My only car is a horse. But he is part of this ride as much as I am. And so he needs to also be enjoying his work. If he didn't enjoy his work, he could just plant his feet and say, no, we're not going down the road anymore. And it would be miserable for both of us at that point. But he doesn't do that because he enjoys it. And part of enjoying it is that he is so friendly and social and just likes people so much. And so that was part of why I picked him. And of course, he's just pretty. He is just a pretty horse. And I will admit you should not buy a horse because they're pretty. And that was not the only reason I bought him, but it certainly was a factor. <laughs> and I, I will just admit that right now. I bought pretty, and that's something you're taught as a horse person not to buy pretty just because they're pretty. And granted, it wasn't just because he's pretty, but it was a factor. There was also the issue of his breeding. I wasn't looking for a particular breed as long as they were big enough to carry me and pack. So I wasn't 
selecting him because of his breed. However, when I was comparing horses, I did like that he is half Mustang and half Peruvian Paso. Actually, at the time, I didn't really know anything about Peruvian Pasos, but since then, I have found that that's a really good thing. But the Mustang side, I was familiar with. Even if you don't know horses, you've heard of Mustangs, and I don't mean the car. And Mustangs are known for being very sturdy, very hardy horses that can eat more things without getting a belly ache. They can have good endurance. Like I was talking about, Arabians have good endurance. Mustangs also are known for having good endurance. Mustangs tend to have really good feet. And so I didn't have to worry so much about his hooves because he has great hooves, just amazingly wonderful hooves. And not all horses are that lucky. And so that was nice. I definitely am glad that I got a Mustang Cross. The Peruvian side is also, it turns out, known for having good endurance and also for being gated, which means they have additional movements apart from walk, trot, canter, and gallop. They also have another speed or movement that is very comfortable, very comfortable to ride. And Apollo doesn't quite do it right, but he walks different than a horse that is not gated. And so he's very swayy. He sways when he walks and it's a lot more smooth than your typical horse. And so that's something that I didn't know when I bought him, but was just a lucky thing. Now let's welcome on a very special guest, Angela of New York. Angela has a really interesting story to share with us about what she did to improve the lives of domestic violence victims in New York State. And it's just so inspiring to hear about her. I hope you feel the same way once you hear what she has to share with us. Hi, Angela. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Meredith. How are you? Can you start off by giving everybody a brief introduction of who you are and what you do? Sure. So um, I'm Angela Accomando, and I'm an anxiety coach and certified meditation teacher. I'm also an advocate for domestic violence, and I help people calm their anxiety so they can live peaceful, happy lives. Well, great. So as an advocate, you have done some pretty remarkable things for the state of New York. Can you tell us about that? So last year, because of a personal circumstance, and I'll explain what, what happened, it led me really down this road of advocacy. I didn't really have this in my plans because I had lived domestic violence my whole life as a child. Then I found myself in my own domestic violence, you know, a marriage filled with domestic violence. And then when I left that relationship, unfortunately, my daughter found herself in the same situation that both me, my mother, and my grandmother were in. And the first young man that she began dating was very violent towards her. And so I tried everything I could to stop the relationship. But the more I tried to stop it, the more it just brought them together. And so I even went to court and tried to, you know, I was successful at getting an order of protection 
against, you know, so, so he couldn't go by my daughter and she ended up running away. She was 18. She moved in with him. And then he assaulted her. He assaulted her several times. But one day he actually broke her nose when they were visiting friends down in the city. Mm-hmm. And we live right outside of New York City. And so when she came back home, even though she was living with him, she asked me to pick her up. And she said, I think my nose is broken. And so we took her to the doctor. It was a weekend. So we took her to one of those immediate medical cares. And the doctor said, yeah, it seems like you need to go see an ENT. But to me, this your nose seems to be broken. Like, are you going to let this guy get away with this or what? And the day before, we had called the police because he also had her car keys and wouldn't give them back. And the police really weren't helping at all. And so I said to the doctor, you know, we're not really having good cooperation with the police. And he said, well, you know, I know some of them down there. Go down there. I'm going to tell them that, you know, my patient is coming down. I said, okay, fine. We felt really confident. And so we get down to the police station, and the officer starts taking the report. And when he says, where did this happen, she goes, oh, and we are visiting friends in Queens. And so he stops, puts his pen down and says, you know, I'm sorry, but there's nothing that I can do. And I said, why? And he said, well, the law states that you have to file a report in whatever jurisdiction you were assaulted in. And I thought this was, yeah, it was frustrating. And it was, I thought this was like outrageous because it was 2000 and, and I think it was 2018 at the time that that happened. And I'm like, we have all this technology you're going to tell me you can't just take a basic report and forward it to the proper jurisdiction? How is this possible? Yeah, I'm sorry. That's that's how it is. And so I called up a few friends of mine who are attorneys, and they said, yeah, that's how it is. So I went on a mission because I was, like, you know, thinking about all the other people who this has happened to. Mm-hmm. And so I had put my daughter in the domestic violence shelter for 30 days, to keep her safe, which, you know, even a lot of my family members don't understand that, but it was for her safety. And and so through that, I became very familiar with the domestic violence agency. I had also lived in that same shelter when I was five years old with my mother. So this was such a generational pattern that was happening. And I went to them and I actually went to them for help. They were like, you know, listen, like if the officer says it and I'm like, we need to change, like we need to change this as a law. And the way I came to that is I was getting very angry, obviously, that no one wanted to help us. And, you know, I had contacted my assemblyman and he said, well, I could set up a meeting with the chief of police and the mayor and all this. And we did. And and really all they did was, which is what happens very often with victims, is they just victim blame. Well, your daughter should have did this and your daughter. And all your daughter had to do was go down to Queens and they couldn't understand that you know, when someone assaults you, it's a traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. And then when you reach out for help and nobody's helping you, you know, you feel shame and you feel like you're alone. So mm-hmm. I began to meditate on how, you know, like, what can I do? What can I really do? And I had to see these people as something different. So I, I started doing these meditations where I saw them as angels. And what were these angels trying to teach me? because I had to get a grip of my of how angry I was. And I realized that, like I said, that a, a law needed to be changed. So victims, because most of many victims flee for safety. They're not really staying very close by to their abuser. Right. So 
when I went to the domestic violence shelter, they said, well, this is something that you should talk to the senator about. And I had never been into politics at all. I didn't even know who my senator was. And they made their, the introduction for me. And I said, I have this idea for a law that would allow victims of domestic violence to be able to file a report at any police station in the state of New York. And mm-hmm. so the woman at the senator's office was like, okay, I'll get back to you. And then I ended up going up to Albany for Domestic Violence Awareness Day. And we were supposed to have a meeting with the senator, but they couldn't get an appointment. So luckily, we saw him outside of his chambers, and he was, like, in a rush. And what I learned is if you ever want to talk to a politician, ask them to take a picture. So somebody said, oh, Senator, can we take a picture with you before you go back in? And he was like, sure. Like, all of a sudden, he wasn't in so much of a rush. And so I stood (laughs) next to him, and I – smiled and quickly said, Senator, I've been in touch with your office. I have an idea for a bill that would allow victims of domestic violence to be able to report their crimes at any police station in the state so that way they can flee for safety and still file a report against them. And I said it that quickly, maybe even quicker. And he looked at me and said, I like this. And he said, you know, come talk to my, you know, legislative director. I said, no, I've been talking to her. I'm not getting anywhere. And he said, we'll be in touch. And I didn't know when I left that day if he was just being a politician and just like, yeah, yeah, good idea, great, or if he really meant it. So the Mm -hmm. next day when I checked my email, there was an email from the senator and with an attachment, and it was the bill. He had written the bill within 24 hours. So I called the DV agency and said, oh, my goodness, like, remember how we, we went to Albany yesterday? Like, he wrote the bill, and they were like, wow, that was quick. And But it was still just a bill. I mean, a bill is nothing but words on a paper, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I had to figure out, like, how am I going to get this passed into law? And so there's a woman in my community who had gotten a law passed, not for domestic violence, actually for organ donation. And I messaged her on Facebook and said, can I have coffee with you because I want to pick your brain? And she said, absolutely. And so I sat down with her and had coffee with her. And she said, you need to lobby this bill yourself. And this is what you need to do. And she just ran down every single thing and she was so on point like you have to make a one sheet you know just like one piece of paper telling your story asking them to co-sponsor you need to find out before it gets onto the floor to get uh voted on it actually goes to different committees so she was like find out you know which which committee your bill's going to and talk to the senators and assembly members that sit on those committees and, mm-hmm. you know, get get some media. And, and so I did all this. I literally went to every single senator's office in New York State and every single assembly member's office over a couple of days and walked those floors and got on my local news and worked with the senator to really push this. And, you know, the, the interesting thing that I want to share, too, is never accept no until you absolutely try because I have several friends of mine, women, who are attorneys and they were like, and, you know, I really don't see this getting passed because, you know, I think it was like they, they felt that it would violate certain amendment laws mm-hmm. and uh, a constitutional laws, I'm sorry. And I was like, well, you know, I need to go through this process. And I went through it and it, I had, I got this bill passed and signed into law within a year. And, um, you know, if I would have listened to everyone, it would have never happened. And I actually really enjoyed lobbying the bill. It was 
I, for some bizarre reason, I actually enjoyed it. And so now I'm working on some other bills with another senator because my senator's running for Congress. So, you know, by the end of this year, whether he wins or loses that, he's not going to be the senator. So I'm working with other senators on some bills for domestic violence and for sex trafficking. Because when you start going down that rabbit hole, and especially when you start talking to other victims, unless if you have an experience, you don't realize, like, wait, that needs to be changed. Like, even for me, when I, when that, when this happened, so many people in my community were like, oh my God, that was so stupid. I couldn't believe that, like, you couldn't just file a report at, at any place. And I was like, I know, like, nobody really knows these things until they have their own experience. Right. So That's I, really like, crazy. Yeah, and so I stumbled upon um, all of this. And, and like I said, you know, when you start getting into this, you meet other people. And, you know, and some things are, I mean, I've, I've met a woman who, you know, was in family court and was telling the judge, my child's father is suicidal, you know, he has anger issues, and she was told, grow up, and he ended up killing her child. So now, She's really on a mission to she's, – she's actually changed, like, three laws. I think two of them were federally. So I think two of the laws she did are through the country. But there are a lot of things that need to be done. There are a lot of changes that need to be made to bring safety to victims because the law does not work in favor of the victims. Absolutely. When I first heard about what you had changed to how it was before, I was kind of shocked in that it's a shocking thing. But on the other hand, I've heard of so many bad laws for victims that in that sense, it was just another one on the list of things that needed changed. So thank you. Thank you for working on that change. And it's just so wonderful also to know that anybody who doesn't have to have a background in advocacy or a background in law or in politics can make these kinds of changes yeah with uh with some hard work and and motivation yeah i mean you're that's that's like one of the biggest things that i really want people to get out of my story and when i talk to people is i feel like people feel very powerless and they feel like well it's just little old me and you know, how can I do this? These other people have so much power. Uh-huh. But that's, that's, you know, not to say these other people don't have power, but you can work with them to use their power for good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I've learned is that, believe it or not, a lot of people who are in high places, they want to do good things for many different reasons, right? Like, because we are human beings and I think genuinely we like to do good things. It also makes them look good and things like that. And so it's like using that. But what I found is that they also haven't had the experiences that other people have had, especially, you know, our political makeup is really made of mostly men. And Mm -hmm. men don't know what it feels like to be a woman and to have certain experiences that only women have had. But they are willing to listen to you and say, wow, this is not good. Let's make a change. Because I think there's such a negative connotation connected to politicians. And I completely understand why. But most of them that I've worked with are really open to sitting down and and talking with you 
And, you know, I feel like I've always gone there with gratitude. And when I go in, I have my agenda because I know, you know, that they have a lot of people that they're going to speak to. So I always go in, like if I could give anyone advice is go in knowing what you want. Like what is your ask, right? Because I didn't go up to the senator and say, my daughter's nose, you know, she he broke her nose and blah, 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 blah. And, like, he would just look at me like, oh, okay, I don't know, like, what do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. A mentor of mine said people like solutions. They don't like problems. So I guess that's what I'm trying to say is, like, figure out what the solution is and mm-hmm. go in there with that as an ask. Like, here's what I've come across either myself or with somebody else or working with a group of people. This is the problem. And I think to end this problem, we need to do this and are you willing to write a bill for this or whatever it is that you're advocating it may not be to change a law it may be something else but i i would say always know what your ask is and be very clear with it yeah that's excellent to know certainly like you say so many people feel like well what can i do i'm just one person and i don't know anything about laws and i don't know any politicians i don't have any connections i'm not a lobbyist and 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 so I feel so inspired now. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome, awesome. I didn't know anything either about lobbying or, like I said, I didn't even know who my senator was. And so I have lived my life where I just follow the crumbs. You know, like, like Martin Luther King Jr. said, you know, you don't have to see the whole staircase. Just take the first step. And it's so true. It's like just take that first step. When you take that first step, you'll figure out what the next step is, but you don't have to know all the steps. Like when I said that to the senator, I or even when I had the idea, I didn't know the step was even to go to the senator. I was just like, let me go to my domestic violence shelter and say, hey, we need to change this. How do we do this? And they, they said, oh, you that's something you need to talk to the senator about, you know, and, and one thing just led to the other. So, you know, that is my biggest thing that I want everyone to understand is just that, you know, you have the power to make great change in this world. You really, really do. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing about all of this. Is there anything else you'd like to also add? Find your passion and pursue that and always be open. And when you see something that doesn't resonate with you, you know, I just encourage you to do something about it. That's the biggest thing that I want. I, I just think about how many people there are in the world, and I always have this big picture of imagine if everybody took a step to do one thing, to change one small thing, the kind mm-hmm. of world we would live in. You know, I mean, I know we're all busy with our lives. I mean, I have four kids myself, and lobbying that bill was a lot of work. But even if it was something small, it would it would make great change if everybody did one small thing. Absolutely. And there's so many things that, people could do that don't require lobbying a bill. But if more people did lobby a bill, can you imagine how many of these terrible laws that don't help victims would be improved? That would be, yeah. oh, my gosh. Our laws are, are very outdated. They're very old. They're very outdated, you know, and they really need to catch up with the world that we're living in now. Yes. For sure. And I'm so glad to hear that the laws, at least in New York, are one step closer to being, you know, perfect. Yeah, a little better for victims, yeah. I'm just 
like honestly, I'm so inspired. All of, for my whole ride, I've been meeting with people who have had one problem or another with the law of mm. you know trying to get safety and trying to get not even necessarily justice for the crimes that have been made against them, but just to be safe and to feel safe. And of course, in every state, it's a different kind of problem. But so many of the things I've heard have come down to some law that you don't even know is a bad law until you're stuck dealing with it and unable to get what you need. So that's I don't even know what to say. I'm just so glad to hear that somebody has done something about one of these bad laws. So thank you. <laughs> there, there's actually, there's actually, thank you, but there's, believe it or not, there are quite a few survivors who are trying to, to make changes to laws and, and doing things. There, there really are. There are a lot of people that, that we don't see that are really doing some amazing things because of their own experiences. <laughs> And some of their experiences have been far greater than mine, for sure. I mean, you know, the loss of of loved ones in their life because of domestic violence. Yeah, for sure. Yes, thank you so much for telling us all about this. And I hope somebody listening is inspired to make changes in their own community, either in their neighborhood or in their family or in the state or in the nation, something. And I will put a link for all the places that you can be found in the show notes and podcast description as well. So I just want to thank everybody who um, is listening, and I hope you were all inspired. I just want to say that I really believe in you. And, you know, if you'd like to um, know where to find me, you can follow me for daily inspiration uh, over on Instagram at Angela Accomando. My last name is A-C-C-O-M-A-N-D-O, and my website is AngelaAcomando.com, and you could also just find me on Facebook that way. And I always try to put up inspiring stuff every day. And so I just want to thank everybody for listening and wishing you all, you know, just a wonderful day. And if anyone is inspired to change the laws in their own area, can they contact you through those places and yes, your brain? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So I do coaching, but I would if you're just looking to reach out and you have a question or something that you know you want to change, I definitely want to give back the same way that woman sat down in a coffee shop and told me what to do. I would love mm-hmm. to share the steps on what you can do. Thanks for listening to another episode and the first episode of season two of Have Horse, Will Travel. I'm so excited to be back for another season, and I am so excited to have Apollo with me again so he can actually help co-host the show. So we will be talking about more horse stuff next week. So come back and join us for another episode. In the meantime, you can also follow along on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and my website, www.centaurride.org, C-E-N-T-A-U-R-I-D-E.org. And there are show notes 
in the description below and on the website if you would like more details about anything we've talked about in this episode or about the centaur ride or Apollo in general. So thanks for listening. Bye-bye.